Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Dr. Donna Barnes is the director of the Suicide Prevention Program through the Department of Psychiatry at Howard University in Washington, D.C. She is also the executive director of the National Organization of People of Color Against Suicide. That website is www.nopcas.org. That's www.nopcas.org. Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for sharing time with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Strauss. This is a very interesting topic, so I'm glad to be invited. I've heard that it has been said, or it was thought, that suicide was virtually non-existent for a long time in the black community, but now it has become so much more prevalent that people are really worried about this. Is this a correct observation? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's very remarkable, because back in 1968, Dr. Charles Prudhomme, who was a psychiatrist here at Howard University, said that as black folks become a part of the majority, suicide will increase. And as you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, as things were getting better for blacks, the rates of suicide actually did increase. How much so? I mean, really a lot or just a slow little creeping up? Uh, No, it increased in some age groups from 10 to 19. It increased 233% in the 80s. And between the ages of 15 and 24, it increased 110%. That's enormous. It's enormous for the young. And it's very interesting that black suicides are higher among the young. So a teenage black young man, young woman is more likely to have a higher suicide risk than someone, an older white male? Yes, yes. How do you explain Not an older white male, older black male. Older black male, my my apologies. How do we explain this? Is it because they're coming into the new society, they feel the pressures of society? I'd like your thoughts on that. Well, as we were growing up back in the 50s and the 60s, the older black Americans, we more or less had to face much discrimination, much racism more so than we do now, to the point where when we had problems to deal with and stressors to deal with, it was easy for us to externalize it. Well, this happened to us because of this. Or this we're in this predicament because of that. And many times we really did externalize our frustrations and stresses. And then as things started becoming better for blacks in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, we brought up our children to not have to want for as much. And so here they were having stresses and problems, and they had to internalize them because they couldn't blame it on the system as much as we did back in the 60s. That's a very interesting thought. And so when you internalize your frustration and your stresses, of course, you take it out on yourself. Now, you know, it's interesting because I looked at a number of psychiatric textbooks, some older ones, not all of them. I I couldn't look at all of them. But this is an element of the the development of of a pattern of suicide that I did not see really mentioned, other than maybe in one quick sentence, in any of the textbooks. And there was no talk about the cultural issues to the level that you're talking about. Right, and that's very unfortunate. I work in the Department of Psychiatry and teach third-year medical students suicide risk management because I was determined for the College of Medicine to have something more than a chapter in their textbook. I initially also must tell you that I didn't think that there would be such a change in the suicide rates amongst the whites and the blacks over the last couple of years because I often thought personally that most suicides were related to the typical depressions and bipolar variances and so on. But you're talking about it far more external, much more le milieu. Mm-hmm. And is the black community adjusting to this now? We are 
are trying to become more educated, which is why NOPCIS was founded. Because you're right. In many ways, Dr. Strauss, you are right. Suicide really knows no color. Stress is stress. Depression is depression. Mental illness is mental illness. I mean, when you talk about the causes of suicide are the same in black Americans as they are in white Americans. But the reaction to suicide or the reaction to stress, lack of a quality of life might have changed. Where once we did not react in the 50s and the 60s to these sort of stresses the way we do now, to the point where suicide becomes an option. Is there a change in the black community's attitude, or can we use the word taboo, against mental illness? Has the black community begun to reach out to mental illness, or are they still holding it in? In somewhat, they're still holding it in, but not as much as they used to. They're becoming more health literate and mental health literate, hopefully. I mean, that is my dream, to make everyone very aware of what's going on, because as you know, the leading cause of suicide is untreated depression, and that's across cultures and across ages. So the more we can educate African Americans on suicide and the causes of suicide, the mental illnesses that lead to suicide, the better we are. But to answer your question, we still have a resistance to seeking help because we feel that we can take care of it ourselves. We feel that we have been through so much going through in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and overcoming slavery and all that. We should be able to overcome any sort of stress or mental, mental disorder. Of course, not understanding the true nature of the mental disorder and how it can become chronic. Because as we were growing up, that wasn't even a part of our vocabulary. You know, if you ask somebody if they have mental illness in their family, they'll probably say no. But however, they'll explain that their mother maybe had bad nerves or dad had the blues a lot. But we didn't have words like depression and manic depressive disorder or bipolar. Interesting. I, I read in one of the posts uh, the following quote. It said, Mr. Suicide has set up shop in the black community. That's very frightening. Oh, really? I didn't see that quote. I'll try to find the origin from it, but I thought it was yeah. fascinating. So what sorts of signs, if there are if there are different signs that we should look in someone who is a, who's, who's a black young man, say, who might be thinking of suicide. Is there a different set of behavioral patterns that we look for? Uh, anguish. Anguish, Which is really not in the DSM-4. But um, anger, black males getting angry, uh, that's very much a sign of depression, that free-floating hostility. Of course, the other signs would be just like any other normal sign of depression, the changing in behavior, the not eating, the not sleeping, all that stuff. But anger probably is one of the number one causes. It's not just so typical of a black male to be angry as we think it is. Many times it is the mental disorder and the aberrant behavior. Will they resist or will they accept the offer of some mental health intervention? It depends on how you approach it. It depends on how much they understand it. They can accept it. But for those people who are not willing to work with you, then no, they will not. And, you know, I always tell my students, you can see how at risk a patient is by the amount of effort they put in working with you on getting them treatment. If they're resisting treatment, if they're resisting giving up their means to take their own life, if sitting there being totally resistant, then they're really at risk. They're at risk more than anybody else. You bring up such an interesting point because I think modern mental health too quickly looks at the biochemical aspects of depression and mental illnesses, but you're talking about a sociologic shift that's adding to a lot of this. Exactly, exactly. I wish we would pay more attention to 
the social aspect of suicide because it's in tandem with the biochemical causes. One of the things also that's very evident, since Mr. Obama became president, it was one of the things that he spoke about also, of having the presence of a, of a male in a family and so on. But the black community has gone through tremendous shifts. And my impression of the black community is that there has always been a very strong religious presence and, and the role of the mother or the grandmother was very strong. Is, is that breaking down? Somewhat. You know, we, we don't have that strong social integration and regulation like we used to. Grandmother would make sure that the kids behaved or they stayed in line or, or parents would make sure that they were in church every Sunday. We don't have that integration and, again, regulation as much as we used to. What can be done? What is your organization doing to address these problems? Because they're, they're pretty, they're harrowing and they're frightening. I know. We go into communities of color to educate them on depression, mental illness awareness, all of the signs that could lead to suicide, understanding what is going on in, within their family, restricting means. I mean, the other reason why the rate went up so high among African-American young males is because of the access, the easy access to guns, to weigh whether or not a gun in your house is for safety or will somebody in your family use it to kill themselves. So we do a lot of education and training on how to recognize the signs when someone's in suicidal crisis because people don't always recognize the signs. I can remember one woman was telling the story how her son came home and said, Mom, I'm hearing voices. And her answer to him was, stop listening to them. And she just didn't pay any attention to that being a sign of any sort of psychosis. And a year later, he took his own life. Hmm. Not good. Not no, good. it's not. So it's very important for families to be trained on how to recognize the signs when someone's in suicidal crisis, how to talk to them, how to persuade them to stay alive, how to persuade them to get help, and knowing where to send this person to get help. So we give them a lot of information on resources. And also if they have the insurance and other coverages to get help. Right. That, that's a terrible problem. I know a lot of people here in Florida live very much away from any major medical facilities or certainly psychiatric facilities. And it, it, it's a tragedy in many ways. It is. You talked about going into the communities, though, and I, that rings the bell in my mind of what we used to call culturally competent programs. Is that mm -hmm. what you're talking about? Somebody who is really sensitive to the culture? Yes. I am, because now I've been going to suicide prevention and intervention conferences for the past 15, 16 years, and I noticed in the beginning stages when I was going to them, there were never, hardly ever, people of color. If there were, you could count them on one hand, and I'm talking three or 400 people attending the conference, and you might have three or four people of color there. So I realized that black folks weren't being reached. And it wasn't any fault of the traditional initiatives that were being set forth in various cities. It was just that they didn't feel that they had anything to offer to their community. They didn't feel that they would be speaking to them. So it was necessary for us to have our own conferences across country and going directly in the community. And then they were showing up in droves. It was like, oh, okay, we find, yes, this is important. I had an uncle who took his own life. I had a brother who took his own life. I want to know more. What sort of questions do they ask? Again, the questions about depression and bipolar disorder and those types of things? Or They listen to our presentations, of course, and then they do ask a lot of questions in reference to what causes the mental illness and medication addictive and 
how can we find someone we can trust? Standard questions, standard good questions. Right. What about the religious community? What about the clergymen? Where where are they in, in your in your They're work? slowly but surely coming around. We had gone to, there was a suicide at a church in te- uh, Memphis, Tennessee, a black church. And that particular church reached out to NOPCIS to help them educate the, the Memphis community. So we worked with them for months and months, and they had a conference of the Black Church and Suicide, and this was in 2003. They've been doing this now every two years, holding conferences there in Memphis to reach out to the Black Churches in Tennessee and, of course, all over the country. But the majority of the attendees do come from Tennessee. But it was difficult at first trying to educate them because they're position was if you pray enough and you come to church every Sunday, you should be fine. And that if someone was suffering from a mental disorder, and these are pastors mm-hmm. speaking to us from the audience, that someone is suffering from the mental disorder only means that they have the devil in them, and it's our job to help them get the devil out of them. Even in this day and time? This was back in 2003, so hopefully things have changed. I think they're becoming more educated because we were very diligently with the black churches because that's where we go for help. We don't go to your traditional mental health providers. We go to pastors because it's more socially accepted. They don't ask you if you have insurance. We don't have to worry about any of that. So we find it much easier going to pastors. So it's very important to educate pastors on how to treat and manage someone in a suicidal crisis and when to let go and refer them out into the community to mental health providers because the pastors can't cover it all. And sometimes they try to do that. They try to just keep it in-house. But there are times when they have to let a church member who's coming to them for counsel to, they have to release them out into the mental health providers in the community. So we're trying to bridge the mental health providers in the community with the churches. And it's, they have to see that it's not a failure on their part. Right, exactly. I would also imagine they, too, have to be very cognizant of the notion that, as you said at the beginning, that as our society evolves and the our society blends and we, we don't become uniquely black, uniquely Hispanic or Chinese or white. That's right. That the isolation issues of the larger community are going to be present in, these, in, in the minority groups, and they're going to have to contend with that. Mm-hmm. That's a sociologic shift. You know, I I recall when I was working in New York City that the Chinese community in New York, a very large community, very self-sufficient and almost isolated in many ways. But as it began to grow and as it began to change and the Chinese kids were going to other schools, more and more Chinese kids ended up in our emergency rooms. That's right. That's the thing. The schools, they spend how many hours in school with the majority population? The same thing with the with the black. We were taking our children out of your traditional black neighborhoods and moving and migrating into mixed neighborhoods, sending our kids to all white schools, in which many cases they were the only black in their room or they were on, the only black on the volleyball team, and they had no references. Hmm. And since suicide is often a sense or comes from a sense of isolation and despair. It can easily happen and when you you feel like you're the only one in the room. Interesting. Now, is there any data to say or to suggest that the black girls, teenage girls, young adults are suiciding or attempting suicide at a rate that's different than the black men? Is that type of data not yet available? It is available for Hispanics. You'll find high attempts in young Latino teenagers girls, but not so much in the black girls, young girls. Their attempt rates are about as high as 
their counterpart, their white counterpart. Any idea why? Do we have any ideas to why these young girls aren't aren't doing it as much as their Latino counterparts, or is that data that still remains to be studied? Black girls, well, they're doing it. They're attempting uh, at you know rates just like white Americans. But the Latinos, it's the migration coming over here or being born in this country and learning everything once they go to school and then coming home and their parents speaking a totally different language than what they learned in school and they have one foot in one culture and the other foot in the other culture and it's a dilemma for them. What I find so particularly interesting, and I guess I'm getting a little bit redundant in saying it over and over again, but it's so evident that we're really talking not only a psychiatric problem here, but we're talking a sociologic problem. Right. Fascinating, fascinating. It makes us all want to go back and study those basic cultural differentiations and shifting courses and so on. We, we really need to get back to that. This is really intriguing work. Exactly, especially in treatment. We talk so much about cultural competency. Well, there's no way in the world that a mental health provider such as yourself is going to learn the, all of these different cultures. I mean, how many different cultures do we have in this country? You, you, you're not going to learn them all. So the best thing to do is just to be culturally sensitive, even though they say you can't teach someone how to be sensitive, but you just have to ask the right questions, ask a lot of questions, and don't assume. Well, it's troubling that there is such a rise in the suicide rate in the black community, and I'm glad that you were with us to discuss this. Dr. Donna Barnes is the director of the Suicide Prevention Program through the Department of Psychiatry at Howard University in Washington, D.C. She is also the executive director of the National Organization of People of Color Against Suicide, and that website is www dot N-O-P-C-A-S dot org. N-O-P-C-A-S dot org. It's worth visiting. Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me.